Going to go to John 15 today. Been working our way through the Gospel of John. It's a, begins with the parable of the, or the illustration of the gardener and the vine and the branches. Very familiar one. So in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruit. You're clean already because of the word I've spoken to you. This is a time of year when everybody's harvesting, right? And if you're a gardener, you love to show people what you've grown. Just the reality of it. Uh, you come over to my house, I'm going to show you squash. We got squash this year. <laughs> I think anybody can grow them, but we did. And it's kind of that way when I go to somebody else's house. And if they're into a garden, they're going to show you that garden. There's, there's a, a joy in it. And in this passage, it says that God is the gardener. He's the one that takes care of things. Now, I linked the video, and if we can get that to play, I'm going to just do a little bit about the pruning of that. I have no idea who's running this. I'm just hoping that it goes. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. My name is Brad Sorensen, and I'm a vineyard manager for Silverado Farming Company. Basically, every vine that is planted has to be planted on a rootstock, and that rootstock is going to be a different, completely different variety than what you actually harvest the, the crop from. So in this case, this rootstock down here is planted on SO4, a variety of rootstock, and we grafted the Pinot Noir onto that rootstock. The rootstock was selected for, primarily for disease resistance. So this is our structure. This is the trunk. It grows up when this was a very young vine. How many even get the humor of that? <laughs> it's probably past your... At one point is topped. <laughs> Topping it promotes lateral growth, so basically two shoots grew this way and were trained onto the wire. As they were trained onto the wire, they didn't start out this long. They started out much shorter. And then slowly, year after year, they were extended and extended to the point where we have our mature vine. This vine is, is trained in the cordon style. So a cordon is French for an arm. So basically it has two arms. This is a bilateral system. So we have two permanent structures that are here. And out of each one of these is coming a spur. Each one of these is a spur. And out of the spurs grow the, the shoot growth for this upcoming year. Each one of these spurs has buds going all the way up it. Each one of these buds has the potential to grow a shoot and a shoot has the potential to have two clusters on it. So if we left this vineyard completely unpruned and we had shoots going all the way all the way up, each one of these buds would grow, there'd be way more fruit than the vine could possibly handle and the fruit would never ripen. So what we're constantly trying to do is balance crop load with shoot growth. In this case, we're gonna be leaving two bud spurs so we have one bud here that's going to yield two clusters and one bud here that's going to yield two clusters. So when we, uh, when we eliminate the other shoot, basically what I just created is the potential for four clusters, two from here and two from here.
I think what stood out to me in that particular thing was that that guy had a plan. He knew a whole lot more than I did about it. And uh, in that, um, if when you dig a little further, they're choosing which branches even to leave because there'll be extras and they have a specific idea and they remember how many buds they want to actually to show and all of that. And I was looking at that branch coming up. It looked all gnarly and old, but it, at the same time, this thing had been going on for years and a gardener had been taking care of it. So put that into our setting. And like Benny was mentioning, there's a pruning that goes on, right? There are things that get snipped out of life that to us seem wonderful, and there's been good growth. And yet God says, okay, this is as far as it needs to go. Or even there have been things that have been great one year, and the next year it's like God just goes, we're done with that. We're going on to something else. Or there's situations in life where you're just kind of going, I don't get this. I, I, I don't know why this is happening. And yet, there's that trust in God's care and his provision that what's transpiring is the very best for who we are and what we can do. And when we start looking at that, it's, it's, there's this idea that says, if this truly works, then even though I might not appreciate having things cut off or relationships end or circumstances change, there's still an awareness that the very best that can come out of this is being provided for us by the gardener. And, and so when we're considering life issues, there's a confidence that rises and says, I can be everything that God wants me to be. I can produce exactly like he wants. And the best that could possibly come out of my life will come out of it as I trust him in this and just, in a sense, live what he's asked me to live. It's an amazing thought to just kind of chew on and to just go, I truly believe he has a plan. I believe he knows what he's doing. I believe that when he snips things, that it's for a purpose. When he does things that maybe, you know, where I'm going, I can see so much that could happen out of this, and then it suddenly it disappears. And you go, well, I guess I'll dream another dream. And, and it's still within the parameters of his care. So it says, remain in me, and I will remain in you, just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. So he's saying, really, the only way that you can accomplish the, the task that God has assigned for you and the direction of life that you have um, taken on in him, the only way to truly fulfill all is you have to stay plugged in. You have to get your strength from him. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. Some of you know that I've been 
walking through some stuff this last year going, a lot of the reason that I've gotten out of bed in the mornings has been connected with family training that was either fear-inspired or shame-inspired. You know, it's like, get out of bed, you lazy slug. Well, I don't want to be called a slug. Get out of bed, you know, you, worthless people don't get up in the morning, you know. And, and so it's been a driver for years, and it produces good fruit, right? I mean, in the sense that that discipline is valuable. But <laughs> the realization came one day, when I stand before God, anything that's been driven by shame probably is not going to have any eternal effect. And so I'm going, that's a lot of wasted getting up in the morning, <laughs> you know? Well, how do you get out of bed without that driver? That's the next question because, you know, all your life has been driven by this thing that really is not true health. You see, the fruit that can be beneficial, but what's the driver to be? And do you actually get up with a joy in the day believing that, Good is about to happen. Uh, it's been a challenge. You know, I, I, there, there are a number of things that way where, you know, if you, if you challenge yourself and say, okay, what, what are the things where anger drives me? Well, I'll prove I can do this or I'll show I can do that. And There's a lot, right? Sometimes it's that competitiveness that says, I will not be one-upped. And yet, <laughs> the reality is, when we stand before God, it's like, that was a worthless branch that really wasn't bearing the fruit that he was asking of us. Even though that thing was bearing fruit, it, it, it really didn't have the full benefit of what it could have had. And so then you have to go back and say, okay, I recognize the desire to accomplish. I recognize the desire to achieve is, is really God-based and God-honed in us. But how do I do this in a healthy fashion? How do I do this in a way that honors Him? How do I step forward in, in walking in the Lord in a way that um, truly brings life? Welcome to that new baby. <laughs> Yay is right. <laughs> Got a couple around here. <laughs> so that said, we have to go back and evaluate why am I doing what I'm doing? And this is truly remaining in the Lord and doing what he's asking of us. This word remain or abide is used numerous times throughout this passage. And so if there's a main point that Jesus is trying to get across, he says, you've got to stay attached. You've got to stay plugged into me. Your heart has to keep that connection open so that if you truly want to accomplish eternal things and you want to stand before God and say, and hear that well done, good and faithful servant, you're going to have to let him deal with the things of life that aren't truly driven by him and say those are worthless branches and they need to come off. And so, in a sense, 
we are constantly being checked and, and sorted, and, and there's a constant walking through life where, where the growth that's coming is it's good to grow, but it still has to be brought into submission to what God has. And so this wonder of, of saying, He has a plan, He has a way of doing things, and if I'm willing to walk in that, there's good fruit that will last forever. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown out like a branch and dries up. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire, and they're burned up. So he's, there's a contrast, and it's stark. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. For my Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show you that you're my disciples. So again, God isn't just about snipping your life, but he's about getting rid of things that really don't matter so that the things that do matter can flourish completely. And just like I mentioned earlier, any gardener is going to show you their garden and their stuff. Why is that? Because they're proud of, of the way it's, it's produced. And so in that, we're, we hear the Father saying, I am very happy when I see your life fruitful. Very happy when I see you accomplishing what I designed you to accomplish. Proud of that. <laughs> this is a legitimate source of pride. And it's God saying, I'm happy over your life. When he sees the things happening and developing in the way that he designed it to be, he's pleased with that. And there's this thing thrown out, ask what you will. It's like, I want a fruitful life. I want to develop in you. And he's pleased to say, I want that too. Father, love me, I've loved you, remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love just as I've obeyed the Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So he's saying there's a fulfillment of life that doesn't come any other way. There's a joy to be had in walking in this path and knowing that you're being overseen that you're receiving the life from the vine, that you're producing exactly what you were designed to produce simply because God has designed you that way. My commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than the one who lays down his life for our friends. So again, he, <laughs> he makes it fairly simple. You know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay. What's the commandment? Well, love one another. And he, he just lays it out. And then he goes, yeah, I'm laying down my life for you. That's, you do the same and you'll be in good shape. <laughs> okay. I don't necessarily want to lay down my life for you. Any more than you want to lay down your life for me? But there's a choice to be made in it, right? 
that says this is the heart of God. This is how he's responded to us. And there needs to be a willingness in us to say, I'll let go of these selfish desires for the moment to do what's important in this setting. Regularly, that's in marriage and family, right? But it extends further into community. And we say, there are times when my heart is prompted that I need to do this even though I have another plan. And it's like, snip. <laughs> Let's go do what we're asked. And as we walk in that, there's a fruitfulness and a joy that's promised to us that comes from no other way. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you to, and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that remains, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. This is the command for you to love one another. So again, he restates that. We've seen it three times in the last two chapters. Ask what you will. But it's as you plug in the context of the vine, right? Now, the last part of this chapter, Jesus is, is in a sense, it's not switching gears completely, but it's like taking on another aspect of things. And it goes in connection to our relationship with the world. And he says, if the world hates you, be aware that it hated me first. He says, there are some that don't appreciate you taking this choice in life. And he says, just know that it, it happened to me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you choose not to belong to the world, I chose you out of the world for this reason the world hates you. Now, Jesus is hours from going to the cross. So he's, he's giving a final um, declaration to him and just saying, this is the way it is. But know, too, that your lives aren't necessarily safe either. And he says, this is the way things are. Remember, slaves not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And he goes on to say, if I had not come to them, spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but they no longer have excuse for their sin. For the one who hates me hates my father too. And again, we're looking at this and going, but if we're loving people, why would this happen? If we're truly giving, why would, would others not like this? He goes on to say, if I had not performed miraculous deeds that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen the deeds and have hated both me and my father. And this is to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They hated me without reason. That's an intriguing idea. We want to say any time that anger is focused toward us that there is a reason. Right? We, there's something inside of us that cries to, to put everything in its logical place. And yet Jesus says, what's happening against me does not, is not reason-based. And he says, 
that's the potential coming into your life as well. That sometimes you're going to have relationships severed or things are going to fall apart in ways in, 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 in connection with relationships and you're going to go on, there's not a true reason for this. And yet, he says, this is part of what you're, you're connected to because your, your identity in your home is connected with the eternal, not with the temporal. And those who have chosen the temporal will not necessarily appreciate your eternal choices. None of us likes to look at that, right? We don't even like to think about it. I'm going to dabble in things for just a minute. Okay. I have four kids, two of them married with kids, uh, one married, no kids, one who's not married. Uh, the one who's not married, I pray regularly that she find a spouse, a godly spouse, because I want her to have the joy of marriage. Now, is she complete without a, a spouse? She's a great person. She's doing wonderful things. She's living a good life. But I, I look at it and I'm going, I still want you to have that joy. And even with my kid that's married that has a spouse, just celebrated his one-year anniversary, I'm going, I want them to have the joy of children as well. Because children have been an incredible source of joy to my life. And they, they have been uh, something where, you know, after you get out of the slug it out every day, I don't know if I'm going to live through this thing. You get to look back and say, this is amazing. Now, in the moment, I, I admit, it. <laughs> you can ask, what have I done? God, I'm going to have to trust that you're the gardener. <laughs> but this is killing me. Even so, at this season of life, I'm going, the relationships that I have that way are probably more important than anything else I have. And the joy of my kids having kids is incredible. And interacting with them and winding them up and then sending them home. It's amazing. You can believe I do it. <laughs> that joy is something that I would like everyone to experience. So hear me carefully. When we come governmentally to things that are encouraging children to sterilize themselves for sexual change, it breaks my heart. Not, not shame on them, but they will not have the joy that I've had. They will not experience the wonder of conception and birth. 
They will not know the joy of grandkids that are look somewhat like them and act somewhat like they did, and you're going to go, oh, my goodness. But there's a joy in that. And there's a sorrow in me that says, why? Now, to go after that, there's, there is a, a hatred, right? There is a stark contrast in our culture right now. And you can be called a hater. Because you don't agree. But truthfully, in me, there's like, why would I want that for anyone? If I can know that there are other alternatives that are amazing. So as we, as we walk through things, even culturally, there are times when you're going, this doesn't have reason that I can understand. But at the same time, there's a joy in my life attached to what I've found that I would like everyone to experience. And so I'm going to keep speaking it, even if it's contrary, and even if at times it inspires hate. Because in my heart I'm going, this is a facet of life and wonder that I don't want to give up. And I don't want others to lose out on. And so when we, when we walk through passages like this, there's a warning that comes out, and it's like, yeah, let's read it quick so we don't have to think about it. But at the same time, there's something that says, whether we want to think about it or not, it's around. Scripture says Satan's desires to steal, kill, and destroy. He is never satisfied. And it never reaches a reasonable point of just coexistence. That's not true. Because his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not to just exist together. Final verses in this passage. When the advocate comes, whom I'll send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and you will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. And so he's just saying, you're in the world, you're not of it, you're still going to speak for me because I've placed truth in you. And I allow the Spirit to lead you into that and to guide your decision-making and steps. Lord, we thank you for your Scripture that speaks life. I pray for each one here that there would be a true sense of being plugged into you and that they would remain and that they would acknowledge that there is life coming from you and that as they walk forward in you, there'd be that sense of joy and participation of fruitfulness and seeing good things come out of life in you. I pray, Lord, there'd be that awareness that you do things wonderfully. We thank you for your life. It brings hope and joy to us. Amen. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives.
They discover with joy what it means to remain in you and draw their life source from you. I pray as each one goes into their fields of ministry, out into the community, I ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.